right, I'm adding Christian. Go ahead and get all the swearing out now, Dan, because uh, Caleb tells us we can't uh, swear as much. I don't. Which that, we're usually decently good, but once one of us gets on a bad streak, the other one just completely yeah, goes to hell. It, it tends to snowball. I don't think it's a problem. How I think I can do with that. The real question is how strict are you about really uncalled for racial based slurs? <laughs> Those are good. <laughs> we could talk about violence, racial stuff, as long as we do it, you know, with PG thirteen language. Okay, well, I think I can make that work. Then. I am going to limit everyone to one racial epitaph each, though, just for time's sake. It only has when to you do say time. when you say one, do you mean we choose one that we can use unlimited? <laughs> <laughs> because that I think I can work. Yeah, exactly. Probably a smart move is to after everything's recorded, just go back and remove everything that I say. <laughs> <laughs> but just don't remove anything Brockett says. Even if it's a response to you? It will yes. 95% be a response to me because I talk a lot <laughs> and Brockett feels a sort of deep-seated need to kind of corral my my nonsense. What you <laughs> By deep-seated is- need, do you mean it is a necessary requirement? He feels like he has a responsibility. <laughs> like, sort of, sort of like he is the result of me being unleashed on this unsuspecting world. Mm-hmm. And like he's kind of got... Like sort of like he broke some ancient seal and like I escaped from where like ancient monks had trapped me. And now like it's his job to hunt me down across time and space so that like people don't have to hear about why I think that every Hufflepuff died at the end of the Harry Potter book and stuff. You bastard. Welcome to Pathfinder Academy. Class is now in session. Here are your professors, Caleb and Christian. Good morning, class. You may be seated. Today's lesson is Pathfinder 320 Comedy. This is part of our 300 series covering advanced topics. And we have with us today two adjunct professors, Brockett Vola and Dan Hall. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Oh, yeah. Two guys you've never heard of. (laughs) And after this day, ones that you were actively seek to avoid. You'll be like, look at the Internet. Nope, not those bozos. (laughs) Can I get a filter that just filters them out whenever I do a Google search? Google comes like pre-built with that. You have to turn that that feature off. (laughs) Well, as much self-deprecation as you're doing, I'm going to fluff your feathers for a second. When I saw the tag Cat Volver friended me, I was squeeing in my little chair like a little 14-year-old schoolgirl because I knew that was Brockett's handle. And every time he's talked about it, just him laughing at the idea of a revolver that shot cats. Uh, Meow, meow. Brockett is from my favorite podcast of all time, Biggest fan podcast and often a feature on that podcast was dan dan some of the best episodes had you featured in them and i have to admit that i've straight up cribbed and stolen a lot of your comedy and just put that on myself matter of fact sort of my biggest fear right now is that i'm going to say something just embracing my own comedy and then realize in the moment oh no that's something i stole from dan Oh, yeah, and that might come up because I am intensely unoriginal and repeat myself all the time. Well, listen, it's all it's honestly all I want. I want all my favorite bits in today's episode. That's really what this oh. is about. Well, good, because right. Dan and I pretty much used the same die 10 years ago hackneyed bits that you probably yeah. heard five years ago, 10 years prior to that. So they don't even, things age very well. They're not even bits so much anymore as sort of like a kind of like dogmatic call and response like you might see in like 
a Greek Orthodox church <laughs> where no one really, and no one really understands what it means anymore. But I know when he's like swinging the giant, like sensor thing around, I'm supposed to say this. And he says that, and then we pretend we're still friends. <laughs> <laughs> I did have to contact you both separately. And it was part of the yeah. contract agreement that you wouldn't be involved together until just this moment. I do appreciate oh, yeah. you guys putting aside your differences for today. Okay, well, I mean, and all this, this is all being recorded separately. I mean, it seems like we're responding to each other, but that's just because we are really, truly boring and can guess what the other person says. I think, Dan, <laughs> what he just said is probably the most obscure and strange reference in my entire life. Look, Brockett, that's, it's really odd that you take <laughs> such a wild swing at the Portuguese race. But, um, you know, it's what I've come to expect over the years. And uh, I wouldn't change it for the world. That is perfect. It's always the put upon of like, and the way Dan and I's dynamic has worked pretty well over the years is in general, it's funny because like Dan says the most wild things I would say, but oftentimes ends up playing the straight man. But the way he presents it is I've done or said something outrageous. No, and then because it's just natural, I just assume the position and just take on that role. And then suddenly I am the person talking yeah. horribly about the Portuguese race. And Dan's just sitting back like this all worked exactly as I would plan. <laughs> that is a good point. 85% of our relationship has been me making up outrageous lies about you. And you just sort of lacking the will to, to fight back against them at all. As all good relationships are built on. Well, as you can see, we obviously have two expert guests here on the episode about comedy. Brockett, your co-host, Cal Ferguson, we had him on earlier in an episode about romance. It just tickled me pink that we would have you on another, like, one-word genre episode. Comedy seemed perfect for you guys, and I think our listeners can already see why. And uh, I'm not just having you guys on because I think you're funny. That's about 90% of it. But you guys do actually have some history and background in the the role-playing world. Yeah, it's funny. I actually brought – I'm pretty sure. I I could be wrong, but I always thought this was the case. I'm pretty sure I had Brockett in his very first game of Dungeons & Dragons back in – gosh, it probably would have been like 2008 or 9 or something. Is that right, Mm -hmm. Brockett? Yeah, yeah, Hamid Rothar. And it was funny because I had always wanted to play Dungeons & Dragons when I was, you know, in middle school and high school. But it was one of those things – that um, a lot of nerd stuff kind of felt like out of reach at that time in my youth. I don't know why. It, I feel like now, if I was that age, I could just go online and instantly find people to do stuff with. But then there were a lot of things that I was always interested in but could never really do until college when all of a sudden, no, now I can play Dungeons & Dragons if people want to and stuff. But it was still at this weird place where like for about five years, I was still unconsciously sh- like sure of myself about whether or not it was slightly too nerdy to be okay with. Like I distinctly remember a couple sessions into Brockett and I being in this first campaign, I had some kind of core book out while the two of us were at a restaurant and he was just terrified. I felt he thought some kind of like mid-80s sports movie bullies were going to come over and (laughs) close our ski lodge because we were being nerds or something. I like that the bullies will close our ski lodge because apparently we're not only nerds, but very rich ones that run the ski lodge. (laughs) They're going to close our community center where we ski for their nicer one where they ski like on nicer snow. Listen, not only can you balance Ah. your character sheets, but you can balance those books pretty good too. That's true. That's, That's true. true. You got That's it. True. You got it. 
I will say once it started, so in high school, Dan was part of a quartet of friends, us and our friend Evan McMahon and Chris Waldron. And we pretty much hung out all the time because we, like Dan said, didn't really have access. Although looking back now, if we had had access to D&D, we probably would have played quite a bit of it. But Chris Waldron eventually played with us and even Dan or um, Evan to join us on a, like a Skype thing at some point. But oh, yeah. we just filled up our life at that time with Smash Brothers and whatnot. But like now I definitely think that that would have been something that would have been a lot of fun, specifically since we would have had pretty much a classic DM and three scenario. Because when I first started, Dan was a part of it. Kyle Ferguson DM'd and we had three other people. Mm. Kyle's current wife Kristen was part of the group and then Kyle's two roommates honest to god I came to it the Dungeons and Dragons it was 4.0 we were playing right Dan? yeah it was 4.0 you came and to Kyle liked them. yeah and and Kyle brought in a lot of 3.5 mechanics that he loved because he really enjoyed the world of like the skill checks and stuff like that and it had been a joke actually before I really had a concept of D&D that our friend Chris Waldron would have a dwarf character um, which he would spell his name like homage, but he doesn't know how to say the word homage, so he says mm-hmm. homage. So instead, that's when Dan's like, all right, we're going to play DMD. I'm like, well, I'm going to play Chris Waldron's dwarf character called Homage. And then that became literally how it all started with a stupid joke that built off of another joke. And then really, when it comes to comedy and what I've told my wife and I've told several people when it comes to D&D in general, and I mean, you can play it completely straight. You can play it however you want more violent or whatever but for the most part as long as i feel like most people are laughing that's generally what we end up doing we spend 60 to 70 percent of it just trying to make each other laugh with different things Mm -hmm. and that's always been a big part of it so it's always been really fun and it was probably best to have kyle on romance because um (laughs) other than our friend chris waldron most of us would avoid it because we were just so eager to just make more jokes and get to the action there's no comedy in women get them out of here (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, it was unfortunate because anytime somebody in our group would try to approach like a romantic situation, usually there was another person in the group that was kind of like, but also I'm going to hit on somebody at the bar equally and more outrageously. And you're like, well, now it's just now yeah. we're just playing the dating game. So I'm it just one upsmanship. <laughs> sure. I remember in 4.0 it was funny as Kyle was less familiar with it and Dan would essentially play his 3DS and then when it was his turn he'd close it and say look at the board and then play his turn and then if Kyle ever had questions Dan would just answer them for him because he had memorized the 4.0 and all that sort of stuff so it was like a pretty good balance experience well kind of because he all the sort of fundamental <laughs> problem was coming from 3.5 I had played very little 3.5 but I played a lot of 4.0 even before we had started this campaign. He didn't fundamentally understand that it was 4.0. And I, I know this isn't a 4.0 podcast, so we don't need to go too in depth. But compared to any other edition, 4.0 was really a video game that you played in person on tabletop. And like a video game, it was prone to being broken. So he didn't really understand the significance of encounter and daily powers. So he'd create these like elaborate boss battles that had all these moving parts, like all these cool things. And we'd get to him, I'd go, well, okay, literally none of us have used any of our daily powers. So let's just nuke, let's just basically blow this guy up in two turns. He's like, well, all right, I guess that's, I guess that's fun. And that's what would happen (laughs) literally every single time because 
there was just no incentive to not. It was it was something that was cool about the addition, but also ended up being kind of a fatal flaw in some ways. Yeah, that's true. I found the thing that was interesting about it was Kyle was. I mean, and honestly, I still think Kyle was one of the best to start off with for how like very malleable he was for what people wanted to do. Yeah, and one of the things that I that I enjoyed was like going into it. The thing that really did kind of like for some people, it's all about the accounting it's like how many arrows they used how much weight they can carry like how long they can go before extended rest for us it was basically like dan said like we'd go into a situation and then basically we'd find out a way to have an extended rest after essentially two Mm -hmm. encounters and so bingo bango we were right back at it with like full-blown like health and everything so like he never really tried super hard yeah he never really tried super hard to completely grind us but there was a few times he definitely brought the hammer part of the hammer down on us hard. And then mm-hmm. he would just see the morale. Because if we're not making jokes, usually everyone's pretty effing like depressed or distraught. And then at that point, you could see like Kyle almost be like, and now I'm going to make this guy a coward and he's just going to laugh at you and run away or like that sort of stuff would happen. But yeah, it was it was a great experience. And then that translated to my second campaign was also with Kyle with a larger group. And then my third campaign was with Dan as the DM, which was a lot of fun. That was such um, a good campaign. We still talk about that campaign as if it's ongoing, which is true. And it's also essentially one of those situations like you've seen on this show with Dan and I just badly badgering all the, the talking space. We essentially through our own minds and riffs Dan created a world for his D&D, and then I joked, and he joked, and we filled 90% of it with jokes. Mm-hmm. And then the other 10% was the rest of our friends that then, for some silly reason, decided they didn't want to play in this world. And then it just grew and it enriched from there, because that, that is one of the most valuable things I found, and the thing I miss probably most about D&D is the sense of like a fun, like an actual improv troupe. Uh, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways like it really becomes like a structured like adventure you know like I, basically it's very popular now because there's a lot of shows now i think mark carmen uh has one and and i think mm-hmm. they're gonna start one with deborah ann wall who's gonna dm so like it's obvious that people can realize that humor and a structure of a fantasy world can work really well together and people be willing to watch it and so that's what I've always felt like we weren't sitting around in like LARPing gear to do stuff Mm-mm. to that level. But we definitely were sitting around thinking, all right, you know, I, <laughs> you, you, you hear this big, long monologue from the from this awesome bad guy. And then somebody cracks a joke because that's what you're just waiting to do is like embrace yeah. the rest of the people in your group with this joke. And I just at times I just felt bad for Kyle because he was great with the vibrato. But Dan was always almost ready for it in a way that like you would make an offhand joke. And then Dan would come back like two days later with like an entire history of a character because you just made a joke about Mm -hmm. a a sheep farmer. And now sheep farmers are important. And that's sort of the um, one I think and to try and attempt to tie this back into the actual goal of the podcast. That's, I think, the most important thing with comedy and role-playing and really with almost anything in role-playing is that there really has to be a level of understanding between the dungeon master and the players about the type of story they want to play. Like there's nothing more truly, truly irritating and annoying than being someone who's a dungeon master and realizing that your players fundamentally want to play a different game than the one you're trying to provide them with. Absolutely. If you're trying to tell an adventure story, 
and every player just wants to be the kind of like smirking eye-rolling badass who like no sells every single threat and refuses to play along with it that's how basically every dungeons and dragon campaign ends after the third session but if you from the start embrace that you can create something that's fun but it's really what's required is that before and brocket i'll tell you this before any game of dungeons and dragons that i by the way brocket don't think that i missed that you referred to Kristen as kyle's current wife oh crap did i say current wife that's oh you terrible. you 100 said current wife <laughs> and that will that will come up but I, we're moving on for now um uh, oh sorry you, sorry everyone sorry Kristen. <laughs> Before we always say in our podcast that like one of the most important things is player DM buy-in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That definitely harks back to that. And I think a big contributor to this is that a lot of reasons that people are getting into D&D in like the college or high school era is that like green text is kind of like a thing now where you see green text stories online of like, oh, I was in this D&D campaign. And then they have yeah, yeah. a story that's point by point and this funny thing happens. And I think a lot of people come into games and they want to do that. They're like, oh, I read this funny thing online. This is a good vehicle to do that. And they, they come into the game with the idea that that's what they want to do. They want to make right. a green text story that they could post later and people will find it sure. funny on the internet. And I think that's like ultimately unhealthy for the game. You shouldn't be like forcing those things to happen. That should just happen organically. Comedy dies when it's forced. Like there's no one thing out. One piece of advice I'd give is uh, unless you're really confident, don't ever write jokes. Like that's not the way to do to unless unless the joke is how bad the joke is. That's actually pretty easy to do. Don't uh, don't write a bunch of yuck em ups and a bunch of one liners to try and fit into your campaign because that that's just gonna lose your friends. Like that's not gonna get win you any battles. But no, Brockett, I'll tell you before any campaign I run, I force every player to decide how they already know each other and why they have already agreed to go on this adventure. Because the worst thing in the world, literally the worst thing in the world, besides cancer, is... <laughs> number start. two, coming at you hard. Here he comes, number Dan. Two, number two, worst thing in the world. Take it away, Dan. I'll know one, big old cancer. Number two <laughs> is when you start a campaign and you go, oh, you meet up at this tavern and two characters instantly decide they hate each other. And don't want to, and won't work with each other and won't have anything to do with each other. Mm-hmm. Or and then you get through that and you say, oh, you've been hired to go to the Goblins Gate Bridge and kill all of the slimes. And they go, well, I don't want to do that. Why should I do that? You go, well, you should do that because you asked me to DM a campaign for you, and now you're giving me a whole bunch of stuff about it. <laughs> like, how, about, how about this? Instead, you're going to generic place three to hit numbers. And get numbers. And that's what the game is. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Awesome. That does sound excellent. Well, here's the thing. Is there a sexy number at this number location? Or are they all just mediocre numbers? Like, I'm looking for a pretty high up number there. It's a sexy number, but, like, at first it doesn't like you. So you've got to, like, do get some roles and, like, put some role play work in. And then, like, eventually something will develop. But then, like, the bad guy number kills it. So it's like uh, a real moving moment for the hero. Ah, uh, yes, that's good. That number, by the way, is 18. 18. Does that make sense? 18. That's probably Wait, I'm writing this down. It's slower, please. <laughs> I will say, yes, to Dan's point, like coming into it with everything, like one of the, the campaign Dan ran, without getting too far into it, because honestly, part of the component of it was there was a militaristic aspect of it. 
and a bunch of the people who started off. Well, the first attempt Dan made was more disparate characters. And then when that didn't wash out, we got it was some new players. And then everybody was essentially a military role to some degree or associated enough with it. So then there was the natural structure of just wanting to have sort of a hierarchy uh, between four, four to five of us. Yeah. And we had missions and we could go on that sort of stuff. And then it honestly, the thing that I always enjoyed most, um, I've only played, well, technically I played five to six characters but for long-term campaigns i played three characters and one was hamid rothar which was essentially like a scampish dwarf scampish in the sense of like he was classic he was like smashing beer cans on his head he was yeah disgusting. he was grody yeah yeah he wore this carcass of a dead bear who killed somebody he knows and he was always afraid of bear daddy which was the the essentially the great demon bear that was going to hunt him down for killing the bear that he wore as a carcass and like then there was I, I tried to play essentially as close to Aang from uh, Avatar Last Airbender in the long-term campaign 4.0. We played with Kyle. And essentially at some point, because I was a righteous Avenger. You made um, a mistake in that one, yeah. You put yourself in the position of having to be like the group dad, group babysitter. Yeah, it was true. I was literally Yeah, playing. real quick. I'm going to interrupt you real quick. I feel like yeah. maybe Dan just puts everyone in the position of being his babysitter. <laughs> well, you would kind of. I want them. It's kind, It's a mix of all my players. I want them to do three things. I want them to adore the wonderful story I've written for them and tell me how good it is. <laughs> I'm I on want your level. To, I want them to bring pizza. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And I want them to accept when I tell them that this is what they're doing and they need to do it now and to move on with it because I've finished riffing for the moment. (laughs) I will say some of the most fun comedy I found with Dan and no slight to Kyle but the one thing that would happen is I would dread in Kyle's campaigns we'd reach town because at that point it was just like everyone yeah. goes off on just their own thing and then we end up wasting like three in my opinion again like totally how you want to play was, it. it was true play, yeah you end up wasting like three hours for like two or three people stuff. to like yeah just talk to NPCs and shops that leads to nothing and to me like it was always about the grandiose story arc sure we make jokes but it's making jokes along the route to whatever the next story arc is and one of the things i always enjoyed about dan was he would not mince words in a situation in which like you would get into town somebody would walk up and start to start a conversation with the shopkeep and they would basically make the shopkeep like raise an eyebrow for why would you even want to talk to me for an extended period of time and like corral you verbally with like a stick back towards don't talk to a shopkeep for like three hours like that's not interesting or like directly just be like yeah that person has real no significance and they're pretty boring like you know that's sort of stuff and i always enjoyed some of that that stick handling but also a part of it that was always funny was when you naturally hit on something you never thought would be fun and ends up being very precious to your character like you realize when you get into town and something happens that somebody really loves i don't know goats or something but it happens organically like you don't walk into town and find a goat farmer find a goat and say i love goats like something happens where like you're in a battlefield in a farm a goat runs out and then somehow you block it from hitting an arrow. And then suddenly you have this natural moment of like, well, maybe my character like is really sweet on this goat. So now you've got like that developed in it. And I thought part of it, like not only the improv of improv now really has a lot of connotation towards being comedic, 
But I think a lot of the actual improv of D&D is just being able to adapt. Mm-hmm. And as much as you want to set off with a good, solid foundation, I agree. Like, that was always great because once you set roots and you know that everybody in the party is not going to try and become a vampire and murder one of the other people, like I've yeah. heard <laughs> one of our friend campaigns one of our friends literally vampire tried to murder the other person in the first start off of yeah, a campaign it's not it's important to note this didn't this wasn't several sessions in they got turned into a vampire and like well the natural thing that would happen is i'd try to murder everyone they came to the table mm-hmm. with the plan i think my character's a vampire from session one whose plan is to slowly murder everyone <laughs> by like session two and i think that's gonna make this fun for everybody the dm yeah. signed off on that uh, yes, because the DM was very weak. Mm. Yeah, he's, yeah. But the part of it is, I've always appreciated, again, I will give as much as I'm asked to give. Because Kyle sometimes would be like, tell me whatever you want. And so, mm. like, some people would show up with, like, you know, eight or f- nine different major thoughts. They think that they're, you know, that they were born to be the Messiah for an entire race. And their history is that they're, they're three dead brothers were all gods and like all of a sudden like that sort of stuff can get really strong and heavy i would (laughs) imagine for a dm whereas like i've always appreciated just somebody being like and it's in the books now and i think that's or has been a part of the books is like i you know coming in with like a secret or or like some tertiary idea but i think for the most part like dan says the most important thing for background to me is almost the moment before or what unites these people enough that they can get by. Like Han and Luke don't like each other in the first Star Wars, but there's a reason they're together, and they're not going to start trying to chop each other's head off. That's well, I mean, you haven't read magic. my Han turns into a vampire fan fiction yet. <laughs> and he was... tries to kill everyone session one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Lord and Miller it... wanted that for the first solo yeah. script, and then that's why they got cut out for Ron Howard, because oh. he's very pro-characters pro and not DM. So, yeah. Ron Howard, <laughs> if you go back and look over his filmography, you'll see that Ron Howard is very anti-vampire. <laughs> it's secretly it's if you have to look for it but he's really got an axe to grind about vampires but uh i'm i'm very much of the opinion that it's important for level one role-playing characters to not be particularly impressive before they start level one like if your character is always like oh he's the lost scion of a hidden kingdom and he's son of a god and he's you know he shoots lightning bolts out of his nipples and stuff like well, why is he still level one and why have i never heard of him before <laughs> hey uh dan let me back you up with at level 17 that's not so great i'm no, playing a level yeah. 17 campaign where the gm said you can have grandiose backgrounds because you're level freaking 17 i wrote a big background i died the first session to black tentacles by the way i'm a caster i have low cmd what am i supposed to do you can't cast a spell when you're grappled paizo fix your game so I did yeah. die, and the grandiose background didn't feel so appropriate anymore. No, and yeah, that's the other thing is you're setting it. Any there's nothing. If you want to hear the world laugh, announce your plans. Hmm. If you create a grandiose character, well, your character is going to get mummy rot, and they're going <laughs> to die real early because well, who does this guy think he is? There's um, there's two, there's two very important concepts which I think are in a lot of ways the key to comedy. It's the schlemiel and the schlemazel, which I, everyone's heard those words, but not very many, very many people know what they mean. They can be explained most briefly like this. 
they're both fools. Comedic characters intrinsically at their core are foolish people. A shlemiel is someone who spills his soup. And the shlemazel is the person into whose lap the soup is spilled. Hmm. So if you're trying to make something that's funny and you create someone who's very grandiose, well, the only thing that's funny that can happen to that character is that a dragon poops on his head. Or (laughs) that, you know, a bunch of a bunch of grubs hatch out of his chest and he dies because that would be hilarious. There's nothing to work when a character is too serious. My first instinct is to bring them down. Mm-hmm. Because you can't you can't start someone's journey when they're already ascendant. Right. Yeah. And that was I always felt like what was the most fun about Dan's recent campaign was coming to it knowing I wanted to be very well, again, the character my favorite character of all time I've ever played erupted essentially again from a riff joke. Sir Theodore Troutswallow, which is just a Minotaur man who's very pr- British and proper. That was just the whole mechanic of it, was just to be a, a proper British guy. Not like Pinky's out British, but like the sort of... Barrel-chested, yeah. like I'll do anything for my country, sort of like, you know, stiff upper lip, let's go grapple a kraken, mm-hmm. conquer yeah. the world. Exactly. And what was fun I just I just would advise was... against grappling a kraken because they probably have black tentacles and then we'll ruin oh, you the first game at level 17! That's true. No. That is I will like doesn't work too. Yeah, I would. I was. I would say the greatest thing of all time that I have a deep seated anger and fear of now is gelatinous uh, you, Gelat- you, gelatinous cube? cubes. Yeah, the, which essentially super murdered my second character with <laughs> Kyle to the point where there was a side quest to try and revive him. And I yeah. will never like, yeah, you just always have those things. And then it's just like, can't believe this, like this, like gelatinous cube. I think that was Kyle bringing the stick at that point. He's like, these dumb sons, they're going to figure yeah. this out. When I throw this cube down, they're not going to be able to know what happened. <laughs> can't laugh um, when you're gargling sticky goo, now can you? True. Yeah, you're just a black, blackened skeleton at this point. Laugh, paralyzed man. Why aren't you laughing? <laughs> There's just like, I don't understand. Like, sometimes the comedy comes out because you just didn't expect, like, when you're all tied up against the wall and you're playing a character you rolled to then try and rescue the character killed by the goo. And then one of your good friends. Chris Waldron asked by the main <laughs> villain, is this guy your friend up on the wall pointing at my character? And Chris is like, oh, no. And then so he's like, okay, cool. And he just guts my character. And I'm like, now I've got two characters dead. <laughs> and then Chris is like, well, I, you know, I thought if I showed I didn't care about you, he wouldn't hurt you. And I was like, well, I guess that makes some sense. He was going like, to do it regardless. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. I already picked that one out. But it was it's fun. And you do end up having moments where, like, again, the same friend Chris plays essentially a swashbuckling like superstar who publishes his own novels about how like great he is and interesting and their embellishments were always he puts himself in the the core of the story and he is still a very good person he just still embellishes himself into it so he's not gilderoy lockhart as much as he's more a better more important booster gold and one of my characters essentially i had no idea but organically we discovered that my character reads all of his dime store novels and is deeply impressed and even the adventures in which he shares with 
uh, Panama Jack, he still is like goo goo, like a fanboy, like, like around him at different points, which was all very funny because, again, the barrel chested British proper guy who is very from a military background has this like squishy soft spot for this other character in the group, uh, strictly from like an admiration standpoint. But the other character is essentially just, you know, like a roguish person who hasn't amounted to the same things as my character. But you end up finding those things. Not because I set out to really be in in like in awe of of Chris's character, but he just just things would he'd say, and then I would just find myself being like in like awe because of my reactions to him, and then it just became part of the story, and then it was just another little like fun little bit that we could find in moments that was well, re- it, that was really nice. It allowed you to show a separate side of your character because yeah. normally his reaction to stuff has to be kind of this not gruff, but sort of like oh you know. Let's let's meet it head on and let's go be heroes. And all of a sudden, this other kid, because he this character joined partway through. By the way, you were very kind in describing his character because I distinctly remember <laughs> the day he joined and I said, Waldron, what character type of character do you want to play? He says, oh, I want to play Indiana Jones. And I go, you mean like an Indiana Jones type character? He says, no, I, I my character is named Indiana Jones. Mm, and, I want favorite. To, I, <laughs> and I want to have a, a fedora and a whip. And that's the character I'm playing. I say, okay, first off, no, uh, I will, I will write your character for you, uh, and it will be close to Indiana Jones, but don't say those words again. Um, uh, but it gave you an op- it gave you an opportunity to show this entire side of your character and have a whole new range because sometimes characters, as you naturally, as you inhabit a character, they tends to it's everyone knows flanderization basically as a character exists longer and longer they tend to shift towards their most extreme and ultimately less interesting traits because it's just the one way they react to everything to the paladin problem. allow yeah exactly it's exactly the paladin problem so anytime you create situations that allow your characters to discover things about themselves and show new sides of themselves it can't be anything but interesting and it's frequently funny yeah, that is true. I feel like, again, a lot of people think that sometimes the most character building happens in like a tavern setting after a quest because they're so focused on the strategy of a situation. But we've often found the most character building and the most fun has come in the moments of like near gallows humor where mm-hmm. you just end up laughing and making each other laugh because the villain has wrung their hand so much. And then you just realize this camaraderie of the moment of like, well, we got to go fight this big evil dragon. Like, what are we going to do? And then somebody makes a joke that they're, you know, they just really, really hate like black dragons. And thank God this is a green dragon. And then like the whole time they're punching the green dragon, they're like, well, you're not as bad as a black dragon. And then the green dragon kicks the crap out of them. And then, you know, now everyone can make fun of the person who got kicked down by the green dragon. And and so you develop those things just in the circumstances of like, we're not all sitting around drinking. Drinking and talking mm. at a bar, you know, you end up finding them through again, like organic, like moments. Yeah. You know, you just don't, you don't understand when it's going to happen. And sometimes it's important to embrace them, and then sometimes, you know, also you can just throw them away because, yeah, you know, you also don't necessarily want to be defined as the person who loves goats because you saved a goat at a farm. But maybe it, that is something you found because your character was so was so heartless or seemingly cold. They're not a druid. They're a 
you know, they're a book learning wizard who's never been outside, but now they've saved this goat and now they're like, well, maybe I kind of like goats, but then sheeps. No, no, no sheeps. Sheeps ate my homework when I was 12 and I hate sheeps. Like that sort of thing, like just develops. The majority of the comedy in my games actually comes out from serious campaigns. I don't think I've ever really been a part of a truly all joke game like the 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 campaign's premise was comedy the campaign's premise is often serious or very serious and the comedy comes out of that and like you guys Mm -hmm. have been illustrating in nine different ways this comedy often sometimes is is grabbed and turned into something serious usually it's like the sort of out of character comedy that we're making jokes like oh he probably wears ladies underwear and then you'll one day hey you found he actually wears lady underwear the the gm sort of like fits that stuff and brings into the game that's how comedy is in a lot of my games a lot of the serious stuff that happens it's almost like for me it's a reaction I, i joke when I'm nervous, and if it's like a serious moment, I try to break that tension with a right. joke. In seminary, I remember taking one of my oral finals, and the guy said, uh, where would you find that verse? And I said, probably somewhere in the Bible. I'm guessing Old Testament, maybe even New. And then just because I'm in freaking Missouri, just like the stairs cold of death at me like, yeah. so what verse? I'm like, ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Afterwards, he was, he was yeah. talking to me like, okay, just a suggestion. Maybe you shouldn't you know, make a joke and just say you don't know the answer. I'm like, okay, well, maybe there are. I don't know if you've – you're like, what, 60? Maybe you've met one or two other people who make jokes when they're nervous. But fine, I'm sure it's just me. It's just me. Yeah. This guy from Jersey <laughs> here in Missouri. Well, one thing that's important is I think that a campaign that is from the ground up designed to be purely comedy would be very difficult to navigate. Like even the the campaign we've mentioned a couple times, at its core was a comedic campaign, but I would describe it as dramedy or tragic comic. No one think if a character is a fully realized character, they would never think of themselves as living in a comedy. And part of something that really aids a lot of comedy is characters take themselves seriously, even if they exist in a truly absurd situation. And that also plays into something else that I feel a lot of campaigns run into, where people create these moments that are intended to be highly dramatic and very serious and fundamentally maybe even a little scary for characters and if everything has been treated very seriously it sometimes can be hard for those moments not to kind of die a quiet death yeah because it's sort of like you sort of just kind of are putting it out there and you can't help but smell it a bit Mm. but when everything is already sort of operating on a kind of light-hearted level like oh we just like fought a bunch of bullywugs who are all dressed up in like barrister wigs and stuff and they're trying to be all proper. But then when a moment becomes serious, since they're not trying to elevate themselves from already relatively serious to quite serious, but instead are coming down from lighthearted to, oh, things are a little serious now, I at least have found and I've had the fortune I've been fortunate enough to mostly work with very game players. I found that people are more likely to give that a bit more respect when it happens because it's the it's the exception, not the norm. Definitely. All of a sudden, all the faces yeah. turn. It's that moment of, oh, crap. He just, yeah, yeah, yeah. He just killed that guy. Right. Wow. Or whatever okay. it happens to be. Yeah. I've had times where – and Christian's been a part of this. Specifically, I knew there was going to be a portion of the campaign which was going to divert from the way we normally play to a sort of horror. And I remember mm-hmm. saying out loud, you know, out of game, talking to players – Let's try our best for the next two or three sessions 
to not crack a lot of jokes because I think it will A, break tension and B, bring us out of this sort of horror scene we're trying to make. And mm-hmm. even that was really hard. We still were, you know, breaking our own rules and making jokes every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I mean, as you said before, it's a natural tendency to to break a joke to diffuse a situation to kind of take the air out of it a little. It's just human nature. I think that one thing that does help, and this is easier when you've created a world that's inherently lighthearted, is if you can get people to, even though they are cracking jokes, to have those jokes be diegetic to the scene. Like it's not your someone going like, you know, oh, that dragon's got a badonkadonk, which is something their character would never say, but is, hey, that's certainly a, a hilarious joke that I will will be using in future campaigns if you can get them to some sort of filter their humor through something their character would be doing it tends to allow things to progress a bit more naturally instead of kind of just being a all right i've allotted five second increments for everyone to get their wisecracks in now the story's moving ahead as if that didn't happen that's exactly the way i do it It, down to the t it's how i do it in like i'll make speaking as in character doing the in character voice makes the joke we all understand my character did not say that a lot of times especially when they're like meta jokes oh i guess i rolled a one (laughs) stuff like that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah we found like a lot of times the the best we are bad sometimes. Well, I say we, Dan, and some of the people we've been with, we are bad sometimes about table talk, mm-hmm. um, making the jokes outside of game and not the situation. But then, you know, there are certain circumstances where it's important at, with the give and take naturally of like, well, if you'd say that or you do that, uh, we'll react to it appropriately. You know, you can't you don't just go to a king and, you know just throw a, a goat at them or, or you know. All right, like, what happened with you whatever. and a goat? Do you want to just tell us now or are you just going to keep <laughs> no. hinting to it? What's funny is I just, like, again, once some an idea plucks, <laughs> like, it just yeah. evolves from there. Because no, there to be no frank, goat. there's so, yeah, there's, there's never been a goat. We've like, created I, the I've intro for anyone coming in won't understand, but we're going to be talking about it for the next nine years. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, the goat yeah. joke. Right, exactly. <laughs> goat Steve. Goat Steve's yeah, very yeah, yeah. popular. Something really yeah, yeah. important that you just made the distinction between in-game and out-of-game joking. Most of the games I've played are a social experience. They're, we're kind of there mm-hmm. to hang out. We're not there right. only to tell the story. The story isn't actually the highest thing there. The highest thing there is that we're all having fun together. And that fun together, yeah. when we're in person, he's usually looking at jokes, looking at YouTube videos and things in between during breaks and stuff like that. When it's online, we're just sort of hanging out and, and talking to each other, something that might trigger a story about our day, and we'll kind of like take a break in the game to talk about it. Well, it is a game, is really an important thing to understand. And if you ever go into a session and it feels like it's not a game, then you should, something should change or you should maybe even stop playing because I mean, ultimately people's time is pretty valuable. And if you're not having a good time playing this again, this game, then what are you doing? Yeah. Hey Brock, did you hear that? Dan thinks your time is very valuable. I I was using a generic your, (laughs) (laughs) I think that, I think in general, our like our time in the collective is very valuable, even if it's less valuable because of the inclusion of some people. Mm -hmm. But it's still it's still valuable. That's just math. Do you guys have we've just riffed and mentioned a bunch of our sort of stuff. Do you guys have any questions specifically just to like 
pick our, our brains on anything specific. Well, yeah, we sort of uh, haven't gotten past the introduction phase. I sort of said, you know, hey, what is your background in role-playing games? And <laughs> that's sort of been the last hour. Yeah, this has been honest. going. So if we do want to get to the episode, I do have some points we could talk about. This has been going no. exactly as Brockett and I planned. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, we yeah. knew they this said, was going to happen. Oh, like, like I would ever believe you plan a thing. Oh, we text. We text a lot. <laughs> they're mostly they're cat text. pictures and dog pictures not, of your pets. They're not. Well, yeah, that's true, actually. But they're not plans so much as they are like devious promises. <laughs> like right. I didn't make a plan with him. I said I'm going to do this thing, and there's no man or god that can stop me. <laughs> that's true i i often find that this is the part of the show that gets edited down the fourth minutes and then suddenly you realize you have 20 minutes of content of actually structured yeah uh, this whole section is just going to be edited down to the goat joke (laughs) that might might actually be true as it should be yeah all right dan i'll pose a question to you i got i got a problem for you to solve Lay it on me. Problem already solved. <laughs> We're talking so much about making comedy and in-game humor and out-of-game humor. We, we already gave the impetus of everyone's got to be here for the same thing. So just assuming that, when yes. where do you have to draw the line? When does it get out of hand? Sure. Well, I will say that if you have a good foundation, it can really take a lot for it to spiral completely out of hand. Because the most campaign problems start at the base. If you can get everything tied together really well, it takes a lot of effort to unfray it going down. But if it's already loose and disseparate at the start, then everyone's already going in the wrong direction. I think the moment that you know it's gone too far is if you have to, at any point, stop mid-sentence, look around and ask people, all right, what were we doing? And you realize that you've done that a couple times this session, then you probably need to lock it up a little. But if you see, see, this is tough because if you honestly have a table that's willing to riff to the point, a, t- a table that first off came bought in, but they're also willing to riff to the point that it gets out of hand, then really you've got to find a way to harness that because that's pretty rare. A lot of times, if you are, especially if you aren't playing a game with like people you've known forever and know will just follow along whatever insanity you, you dangle in front of them, it's really you got to drag stuff out of them a lot. If you're going with randos, which I don't 100% recommend, especially if you're trying to do comedy. In fact, I, I outright don't recommend you ever try to subject a group of people you are not very familiar <laughs> with to your jokes. Because at that point, just to stand up and get booed there. You know what I mean? <laughs> and <laughs> I will you say you used time? your one slur, randos. That is the one you're locked in now for the rest of the thing. It's just uh-huh. You just hammer those randos as much as yeah. you want, bud. Well, that's, they're stealing all of our jobs, all of our healer positions. You know? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Come in real dirty. Hungry for, uh. for astral diamonds. <laughs> it is bad when you have a bad healer. I often found that when yeah, we had well, the person who had the healing powers, it was often the person who should yeah. probably not be allowed to well, have I, the safety. Yeah. And I don't, and we've already come down hard on poor Kristen, Kyle's current wife. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, that first campaign we played, I showed up with like four, I, I, I'm such a nerd. I showed up with four completed character sheets. Because char- I didn't want to, because I, my, whenever I go into a campaign, my first thought is not, oh, I want to play this, I want to play that. It's that I want to know what everyone else is playing. 
and I want to play a character that's a different race than any of them, that is a different class than any of them, is a different role than any of them. Right. Because exactly, if, yeah. like if I'm in a restaurant and I have to know what everyone else is ordering, because if I order the same thing as them, I'm going to be mad the whole night. <laughs> Thank you. Eating your pea soup. Yeah. Well, I'll no. I'll go for pea soup. I, I don't care as long as it's something different. I don't even like pea soup. Kristen. I. What I really wanted to play was Warlord. And Kristen. I asked Kristen, "What are you playing?" She says, "Oh, I'm playing Warlord." And I said, oh, "Okay, that's fine." And I wound up playing a paladin. But later on, I was talking to her. She's like, "Yeah, Kristen, why aren't you using any of your healing powers?" So she's like, "Yeah, it's weird. I don't have a lot of attack powers, do I?" Because she assumed because the class Warlord was a healing class in 4.0 because the class had the word war in its title clearly it was some kind of like berserker badass type character mm -hmm. and then later on when we did the second thing i was like oh finally i'll get to play a warlord chris waldron decided to play a warlord and if you need to know anything about his character Pedric, i can describe him to you with one thought his theme song was the song shots <laughs> like little so, john yeah shots? you know the yeah. song Suffice it to say, he did not use a lot of healing words, but he did yeah. go to bars and try to seduce a lot of dragonkin women. Yes. Oh, he just tried to seduce anything. Yeah, it was. Yeah. He was just uh, that was his his thing. Um, so and this is the guy that came in as Indiana Jones. He's our dear dear friend. We love him to death. No, he's he's a garbage person, and he's a no <laughs> poop about butts. Okay. <laughs> I just no, want to thank Dan Hall real quick for putting such a, a powerful effort to not curse on our show. Thank you, Dan. Oh, yeah. That catchphrase <laughs> normally does not involve the words poop or butts. <laughs> <laughs> but now it's a better catchphrase found organically yeah, through the forces of will and Look, the world. I don't have to work blue. I can be family friendly, guys. I'm like a Brian. I'm like the Brian Regan of D&D &D over here. <laughs> I do look forward uh, to you doing another voice of the audience. We'll get to it. <laughs> For anyone uh, here has making jokes about like a character or NPC on the player side, has it ever just like destroyed a concept of a character where you kind of had to roll along with it? Like in the, the case yeah. of the lady's underwear, that was very non-intrusive. It was a it was a little hark back to what they the joke they made earlier. But has it ever been like to the point where you're like, OK, well, this this character that I had the idea of this, I just got to throw out the window because there's not taking this character seriously anymore. Yeah. And that's that, yeah. That, yeah, that actually is an important point is as a dungeon master you have to be very aware of where you can have some flexibility and some give and take and where you have to be willing to stick to your gun like if it's you have to know okay this character fundamentally doesn't matter it, it being the way i had it originally drawn up isn't super necessary or i can make it something better now so if the players are kind of going in a certain direction with it i can kind of roll along with them and we can make something that's new and kind of exciting. Regardless of whether I had something already worked out or some pre-worked idea, you can't, every character can't be one of your darlings. Like they can't, you're not just reading your, them your novella. Mm -hmm. But if it is something that's truly important or something that will truly bring the setting crashing down, you the most important word that a DM can know is no. Like if you're not willing to say no, then you shouldn't be a DM because that's really what you're there to do more than almost anything else. You can just buy someone's campaign. You have to be willing to be the person who can say, all right, no, 
but let's do this else instead. So instead of yes and the improv it's trope, no. it's no, okay, we'll do this instead. No, and that's 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 funny, and I am gonna steal that, but it's it's not yes <laughs> and being a DM is not yes and it's no but. Hmm. Yeah, I think the one of the things even when doing some of the improv and stuff is like they say that to just get every because again, when dealing with random Endos, who are just garbage people. Um, you need to draw so much out of them. So a, a logical situation is one person walks up and says, there's a llama in the living room, and the other person says no. <clears throat> go, now you yeah. have nowhere to go. So you have to tell people, say yes and, and to go on that journey. The yeah. good thing is once you have a good core of non-randos, people who are good, loyal folk who work hard and and, and fill the economy with, uh, with everything, um, I'm building on this concept. And I don't normally do this. And this is what Dan does. So I'm, uh, this is, I, I feel out of my element. So anyway, when dealing with terrible randos, that is a, that's a thing that you definitely work with as far as yes and. But when you're with a comfortable group, one of the best things is – is to know when you can say, no, there's not a llama in the living room. It's a horse. You've always been terrible at telling the two apart. And then you've negated while also structuring something for the other person to be able to deal with. So for the rest of the time, they now have this bit built in where they don't know horses from llamas. Hmm. And it can play into when they watch Westerns or when they like go to a farm later or whatever those things are. Um, and it helps that other person more than it negates them. And that's also important because sometimes the back to your original question, Christian, like I do feel like one time I stopped a goat from being killed by an arrow <laughs> and that's just defined my entire life. I'm the guy who yeah. saves goats now. <clears throat> so it is difficult. It is difficult to get away from some of those bits. But <laughs> but at the same time, if, if somebody respects it, what you know is, OK, good. You'll never have to worry about that until five campaigns later. You're at a, a, a masquerade party. And of course, my character comes in a goat mask, like, mm -hmm. and it's just a small little flourish as opposed to, okay, in five campaigns, we're going to a goat farm, folks, and can't yeah. wait to see how Rocket goes nuts in the goat farm. Like, there's yeah. a big difference between the two. An important thing saving. that happens naturally is that the end of the session, now all the jokes are like callbacks. It's no longer the joke of the session. Yeah. You'll find the next session, we're not making a bunch of jokes about goats anymore. Yes. I find yeah, that well, that's what campaigns in general kind of devolve into, which is yeah. why I'm always confused when like someone has like a significant other and a friend. They're like, oh, we want to watch the game. We, I want to watch you guys play. I'm like, you want to watch us make inside jokes? Referencing <laughs> you don't know about for like four hours? I think that if someone tried to sit in in a session of a campaign I was running, the energy that would create would by itself cause the smallpox virus to be released into the public. <laughs> It would be such a tidal wave of madness and confusion and like real, real genuine anger that it would cause some kind of it would make some yawning portal that like some sort of Lovecraftian beast could stick its head through, see what was going on and go, no, thanks. Hard pass. I'm going back to my realm of madness. And that would close up right, right over. And we just have two confused people wondering who ate all the pizza. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, that is a that is a, a major concern.
<laughs> well, I also want to thank both of you for uh, getting me into a bunch of trouble because my go-to name for our fans is Randos. That's probably the biggest thing I've addressed them as. So, oh, prior to the show, fantastic! I'm glad we came in ready built to a, immediately insult. We also yeah. we all Rando have goat good. icons. I didn't know how you sussed that one. Oh, out. good, good, oh, good, good. Goat Steve, goat Steve, goat you Steve. saved that guy. Didn't you save that guy once, Brocket? Yes, I did. I saved that goat one time. But oh, also, yeah, 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 yeah. but also, I will ride away on this uh, majestic llama. Oh, uh, well, I don't know. How, I don't know llama. it. Oh man! <laughs> well, don't tell Good Steve. <laughs> don't tell Good Steve. The llama was cheap because it's a horse. Did you just call the llama cheap? Yes, <laughs> I called that llama cheap. Rocket. And the llama knows what the llama did. Oh, the llama! Oh, the llama knows what his place is. The llama knows it's cheap. Yeah, Rocket. that's right. This is like a, this is like a reverse pretty woman situation. <laughs> Except instead of Julia Roberts, it's a lie, a llama. We don't need to get into that. Where you basically have this, it's like you're trying to, no, you're worth less than you were. That's horrible, Rocket. Yeah, it's pretty bad. But in this case, you have to picture Richard Gere really digs on goats. And his whole premise is that he has a massive business built off of the farming industry. Right. Um, and you also have to understand that even though he knows the farming industry, he lives the farming industry, somehow yeah. he confuses horses and llamas. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, if you could tell me one way in which llamas and horses are different, <laughs> uh, I would give you so many astral diamonds right now. <laughs> uh, uh, the problem is I can't. Yeah, because you're, yeah, Do exactly. You astral diamonds now. You can just Venmo me them. <laughs> well, we'll do, we'll do that on bark, you know. <laughs> uh, right, a piece of bark can be, you know. The Richard Gear of the D and D world that can't afford actual technology. He still works in bark work. Bark work is still a very popular portion of the farming industry. Of so D&D. is wait. So is D and D Richard Gear an elf, or what's the story there? Uh, I feel like D D Richard Gear is a half orc because yeah, you're because right. it's like the human part of him is very charming, but then you actually think like this is. I mean, Richard Gear is not actually like Ryan Reynolds no, out there. Like I understand yeah. that people think he's pretty sexy, but he's known for his tusks. <laughs> True. Uh, I saw Runaway Bride five times in theaters, trying to picture those tusks for a campaign yeah. I ran, and uh, it worked out pretty poorly. But it's uh, the best one hundred dollars you ever spent on a graphics artist. <laughs> That's true. That's true. I did. Yeah. I employed yeah. many artists. There's a bunch of very confused deviant art artists out there with private messages saying, hey, can you draw me Richard Gere with some tusks? I will pay you very little money. <laughs> <laughs> Something we haven't really mentioned, but has come up and it's shown some of these like pieces of wisdom have obviously come out is that you guys have a background in improv. Mm. In- well, no, Rocket, absolutely none. Rocket has a background in improv. I we went to different colleges. I I graduated before they did, and I came back. Into <laughs> I like town. how you tagged that on. We went to different colleges, but don't worry, I graduated before <laughs> he did. So really, yeah, let's just make that fine distinction. Rockets, Rockets are for real dumb dumb, and that ain't a joke. <laughs> Anyways. Um, he was in an improv group. I wanted to hang out with Brocket, and I said, what are you doing tonight? I said, oh, I'm going to improv practice. He's like, okay, cool. I'll go to that. So I started showing up, uh, and then I was in the shows, but I was never really – no one ever asked me to be in the group. <laughs> it is true. It, it was very and, – and he ate all the pizza. It worked out pretty well. What relation would you say improv and role-playing games have? I think if you think you've, you've never been good at improv and you play D&D, you're wrong. I think you just need to know that the most important thing is most people who do quote-unquote professional comedic improv aren't in their head 
about it. They just naturally do what you are natural doing, you know, wherever you play, however you play. And that doesn't mean that you're playing a comedic person. You're improvising based on the fact that you have a rigid set of circumstances or they could be, you know, more malleable. But regardless, you are providing you're filling so much of the space. You're coloring in even if there are dark hard lines instead of dashes. And mm-hmm. that is improv. And naturally, if comedy becomes a part of that, that's great. And it's found can be found organically or, or through whatever circumstances happen. But I do feel like it might be scary to some people when they go into D&D. They're already so worried about like the stigmas of, well, do I have to show up in my own wizard robe? Where do I rent a wizard robe? Yeah. Um, I'm not playing a wizard, but do I still wear a wizard robe? Like, that's very important. But at the same time, I feel like for the most part, whether you come in with you're the scion of the gods and you have three brothers that are all gods, or you come in, I'm a blacksmith and I woke up today thinking, I'm going to go for a walk. And that's literally all you have. They're filling in the majority of it with your actions and choices based on things you're presented. And that's totally that's totally fine and it doesn't have to be particularly interesting sometimes you you literally have sessions where everyone kind of realizes that you guys didn't make a lot of jokes or whatever and then you realize over four hours you got a lot of things done because you didn't make a lot of jokes and then there's other circumstances where it's the complete opposite and you, you just it's just how you again like we keep saying it's just how you enjoy it and if you enjoy it with romance or comedy or with the horror or with the stats, if it's more interesting to you when you do know that you're overburdened or that you're looking at a number 18 at the bar and you really need to, to get with it. You know, whatever your circumstances are that drive you in your group, it's it's totally fine. Like you don't have to have I feel like a lot of people are worried that they're not, quote unquote, funny or or clever or creative enough for something. But again, We've had campaigns where somebody just went in as a warforged from the bottom of the ocean and through their choices and realizing that they have, quote unquote, not experienced the world, they become a fun, rich person because they didn't come in trying to be a particularly laugh a moment person. Don't drink Hollywood. That's right. Yeah. So that just happens, I think. When you when people hear that Dungeons and Dragons are role playing or Pathfinder, whatever game you're playing is a lot like improv. I think there's a certain person who might enjoy it, but hears that and suddenly feels less likely to do it. People have have this instinct sometimes that role-playing games basically require them to go to someone's house and sit two feet away from them and act at them, like which is which makes people feel very vulnerable in a lot of ways. And as someone who acts, as an actor, <laughs> I I uh, I am very much in favor of having as many walls between you and everything else in the world as you can. Uh, my personal, <laughs> my personal religion is kerning, which is, <laughs> which is the science of how much space should be between letters and typography to make it look as pleasing as possible. And I honestly feel like everything is more pleasant when everything's kept at at least an arm's length. So I, I you've read usually, a 900 page novel, but it's only 30 words. Yeah, there's a lot of space, and it's really, really pleasant. <laughs> the um, and you, you, all of you have heard people do this before. But what I often will recommend people do is don't have to like you have to act your character. Tell me what your character is doing. To treat it as if you are people feel like they have to go in there and physically inhabit their characters, which a lot of people do and can be really great. 
especially if you have a dungeon master who will do that. But what can really help people is don't think of yourself as your character. Think of you yourself as this sort of person that is completely in charge of this character in a third person sense. You're over their shoulder, essentially controlling their actions and their what they do and what they say. And once you put it in that prism for a lot of people, they will start really to improv with their character, even without thinking that that's really what they're doing anymore. Because all improv is, is collaborative storytelling. Like if Brockett said to me, hey, we're going to go to the vineyard and kill the kobolds. And I said, okay, well, that's improv. I mean, I just decided that I said, okay, and we're going to go to that vineyard. That's obviously pretty basic improv, but that's a start. Yeah, I mean, obviously he wouldn't suggest that because I, I haven't heard of goats being in a vineyard like ever. Yeah, so. well, that's and true. like, what do we, let's leave those kobolds alone and see what kind of wine they show up with. I want to drink that wine. <laughs> We're going to go to the vineyard, but here's the most important part. Leave your weapons at the door. Yeah. Because I want to see what the rosés are like. I want to yeah. see their <laughs> Pinot Noirs. It's, it's a very gonna, rich vineyard. It's been a great season. It's just going to be a lovely afternoon. Like they do a whole yeah, thing exactly. where they have like cheese boards and like wine tasting and they come out and like they poke you with spears, but you just, they're really weak. So ignore it. And uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I mean, we always yeah. say, we always say we're going to do stuff like this. I mean, it's in the area. We never go. It's, re- it's just we something nice. It's something nice for us. It is. Yes. It'll fill out more of our Instagram if we end up going to this vineyard. Oh, yeah. Rather we're than just get- murdering more kobards and sewers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which, you know. And that's another thing I would say oftentimes. It is fantastic that there's a thing called the dungeon crawl and whatnot. But some of the times we've most enjoyed is when you end up in a situation in which you hijack a boat with a big old cannon and just try and blast the hell out of a a river-based monster and end up blowing up bridges in the middle of a cityscape. Like certain circumstances just evolve because it's not a rigid path towards here it is room by room by room by room. And it can be, but at the same time, maybe you pop by the vineyard and you don't realize that uh, maybe this is a great time to introduce a mid boss that you weren't going to introduce for a couple campaigns. You don't even know it. He's just a really snooty uh, wine guy. You just didn't know. You know, I've never really had a a lot of luck running dungeon crawls. I have to admit, I tried to run the tomb of annihilation. Like I guess it was last summer. And uh, spoiler alert, uh, we did not even make it to the tomb. It could have just been called Annihilation. (laughs) Still would have been accurate. Or it would have been great if it was just called Tomb and you guys went to the tomb. But much like the vineyard scenario, you just Just were very enamored with the topiaries and the relics. And, the you know, you picked up some some... very important pieces to show Marcus Brody. (laughs) This is not really all you want to do. crack open this door to the tomb. We just couldn't. I I can't leave with that on my conscience. No, we're just going to do some rubbings and, like, write some poetry. That's true. We played played a one-off for for Call of Cthulhu. And literally, because we were honest – and we were all different characters. Poor Kyle Ferguson watched as we pried open the doors of the Field Museum and escaped into the night, not solving the problem of the horrible monster in the basement. And that sometimes is, that just happens. All I've learned from this is that you guys bully Kyle. Yeah, that's true. Him and his do. current wife really have, have some issues with us. Um, yeah. I hate for this to be the dirty laundry portion of the show, but... Um, there is but a yeah, reason that, 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 that uh, Biggest I, Fan isn't happening anymore. Yeah. Well, can, I, can right. I can I say that over the last several days, Kyle Ferguson has been texting me for uh, Magic the Gathering tips. And if there was anything that 13-year-old me was more confident of 
than the fact that 30-year-old me was going to get frequent tips asking for advice on how to win at Magic the Gathering. There's nothing. Like, when I was there, I was just like, yeah, all the time people are going to be sending me texts asking me how to win at Magic the Gathering. And sure enough, he was right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You live up to your, your heroes, and your heroes turn out to be yourselves. Myself, yeah. Yeah. As an 18-year-old me, if there's anything I would suspect that I'd be the successful guy. And, and here I am, f- failing at a seminary in a one-bedroom apartment in the uh, Midwest. Well, with, uh, yeah, you know. And talking, talking to us to and killed on, by uh, tentacles. Failing at a Good job, me. I'm looking. I'm proud. <laughs> if only, only younger me. I got to go. Failing yeah. at a seminary is its own reward, <laughs> if you think about it. <laughs> Does the seminary have a vineyard? That's the most important question, I feel like. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, all right, Dan, there is something in the short-running show Pop Shots. Uh, you had a little segment called Dan Saves the World. So I'm going to give you a topic, a problem for you to solve. To problem you yourself posed, dungeon crawling doesn't lend itself to comedy. Fix it. Okay, well, the <laughs> dungeon crawling from a fundamental standpoint is designed because it's easy. You're literally taking all of your characters and shoving them in a box with a bunch of like stranglers and white dragons and stuff and saying, look, you literally can't escape here. Not a single one of you can go to the tavern and hit on the waitress who's not interested in you. You've got to go down, got to keep walking down these steps. You got to keep opening these chests that are probably mimics, which is really a kind of a scourge. I mean, at certain point, we need to start like putting a red mark on the actual chest or something. Because, and even then, like mimics. All right, not to get off topic, but like, can they only shape change into boxes? That doesn't seem very useful. Like, and if they can change into other shapes, they probably should because they're just wasting their opportunities. Really, you agree, don't you, Brockett? If you were a mimic, what would you shape change into? I probably shape change. Rocket, this is my segment. What do you do? Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> the problem with dungeon crawling and comedy is that a dungeon crawl represents a promise. You say, here's a dungeon. At the end, there's going to be something good because you crawled through all this dungeon, which isn't comedy. That's just a sentence. That's saying a thing is going to happen. It did. The end. So it's got to have some kind of twist in there in order for it to have any kind of payoff. And my usual twist is to have everyone die, but players don't usually like that because it involves them dying. So if I was going to solve dungeon crawling once and for all, I'd say dungeon running is the way to do it. So it's the traditional dungeon crawl, but there's no stopping, no bathroom breaks, lots of soda. (laughs) Once it starts, first person to go to the bathroom loses five astral diamonds. But I'm already in debt. I already owe so many diamonds. No, you, Brockett, we talked about this being my segment. It's like, have you ever ever seen one of those contests where like everyone has to put their hand on a car? The last one to have their hand still on the car, like gets to have it apparently for some reason that makes no sense. This version of Dungeon Crawling is not like that, except the first person to pee their pants rather than go into the bathroom gets like, I don't know, a plus five longsword it can be keen or something it's borple all right that's too much um, <laughs> Holy crap. yeah that's pee myself right now i'm just I'm, I'm just railing now red bulls just to get to that pee threshold just to get to that pee thresh as you yeah. shoot your hand up rocket points to his crotch a spreading stain that's oh, true oh yeah i forgot i told that story mm-hmm. like i said 90 uh, percent of my comedy stolen from you dan no it happened no 
Oh, <laughs> man. Anyways, well, now that I know that, I don't know if that solves the problem of dungeon crawling anymore. Maybe the problem isn't crawling. Maybe the problem is dungeon. We're going to be doing vineyard crawling. No, I don't <laughs> think that works either. Battlefield crawling seems dangerous. So it's not crawling. It's not dungeons. So maybe the problem is the punctuation. Dungeon crawling? <laughs> you show up and you go, this isn't dungeon crawling. This is a putt-putt golf. And you go, surprise, we're best friends. And everyone plays putt-putt golf. <laughs> that, that feels best. Or yeah. maybe dungeon crawling in quotation marks, dungeon crawling. Hard air quotes, which means it's either meant ironically or it's quoting another campaign. <laughs> In that situation, it's like dungeon crawling. It's like you're just like helping him clean his his garage out. Like, yeah, you got to delve to the bottom of my old Nordic track and get out all these rat carcasses. You did it. You're big heroes now. And everyone's like, well, I don't know what I expected, but I kind of feel bad that I thought so highly of myself. And that's comedy because the the mighty has been brought low. But on the other hand, if it's quoting another campaign, that would just be where you show up and the DM describes another campaign that he did with players that he likes more to you. And you have to sit there while he tries to remember all this, the funny stuff that his other players did, which is also funny because it's also people being brought low. Hmm. I think I'm we've got a lot a of theme with your comedy, Dan. Yeah, well, comedy is all about the powerful being brought low. It's a use a returning phrase, but it's also about people being hit in the face with pies. Hmm. Delicious. And, and that's not me. That's Aristotle. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dan, that's everything I wanted it to be. Thank you yeah, so it's much. About, it's about what we expected it to be. Isn't that right, Rocket? That's right. Rocket, how many times do we have to go? <laughs> And the rule of threes, everybody, illustrating every improv technique. I'm more of a rule of 17 person where I'll just keep making the same joke. I might get the laugh at the third time and the laughs start waning. But my theory is if you keep going, the laughs will return. Sometimes it's 30. Sometimes it's 70. But it happens. And I will not stop until you laugh. So you might as well laugh to get it out of the way. Yeah, it's it's the sideshow Bob Rake theory of comedy. That's true. You can have reference Simpsons twice. Did you get a writing gig? What's happening? This what fall the, on Simpsons. Dan Hall. What was my first Oh, well, it's, it's terrible now, so I probably could get a writing gig. What was my first Simpsons reference? <laughs> you, you referenced Flanders. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, what can I say? I mean, tune in Fox. Uh, <laughs> Fox Sundays at 8.30 for the part of the animation block that's somehow worse than the rest of the animation block. <laughs> and that's all Seth MacFarlane. So it's the full bad stuff. I'm writing for the Cleveland show. That show's not even on the air. <laughs> Some people would describe it as Cleveland fanfic, but those people make me sad. So let's not listen to them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, true. Accurate. Facts. Factual. Not bad. Not bad. Not bad at all. Well, we've kept <laughs> you guys here for a while. I thank you so much for your time. Is there any last words you want to get in about comedy and the role playing? You kept world? no one. We kept you here for several yeah, no. hours. You ask us if there's any last words we would like to get in comedy. I would like to know if there's any first <laughs> words you'd like Christian to get in about comedy. <laughs> Poor Christian. Christian's yeah. like, Christian's there's like, a reason we had to guess, guys, okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Leave it to the professionals. Wow. Well, I mean, 
I I would not describe myself as a professional, but Kyle's current wife, Kristen. <laughs> I think you, Fox would. Fox? Oh, yeah, well. And your page, Jack. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Well, uh, wine, but, uh, I do appreciate you guys hosting the show today. It's been great. Uh, yeah, I would yeah. say that the the comedy versus serious drama talk to me was was like the most important, the most that spoke to me because that is how I do things. And and being able to like all the games, what I love most is serious drama that is all into character building and the fact that that's completely filled with comedy it's just like this perfect balance that i think sometimes maybe can be hard to strike but it just seems to come so naturally and i absolutely love it i love hearing your guys' story about how it's worked out for you and i know that that balance needs to be hit because there's been times i'm like okay guys i'm sorry we'll move on because i realize it's been four hours and we didn't make any progress in the session but literally like that's the upper limit if we've made any progress mission accomplished it's been successful I think comedy for me and I, I it really boggles my mind to think of many to think of other people's perspective maybe I'm just a bigot maybe that's just how that works uh, mm. but it's hard for me to imagine other people who are like no all my games are 100 percent serious all the time I just feel like you to have jokes even in the most minimal way what is this Jason Statham runs a campaign come on Jason well, Statham crack some I'm, jokes I'm Jason Statham play my game <laughs> We've now gotten to the impressions part of comedy, which is not something oh. I want to give any had, advice about. I've, okay, I've had that in my back pocket for years. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, too, for coming on so much. Uh, Brockett, if people want to hear more about you, is there anything you're doing anywhere they can go to follow you? Uh, great intro. Love it. Makes me feel like I got to invent something. Uh, is there anything <laughs> that you do at all that is uh, justifies why I wasted my poor Rando's time with you? Can you please justify this to them? Please. Poor Chris yeah, is over there literally typing me. Why have we done this? This is the end days. It's uh, bold of you to assume that, that we're going to be publishing this episode. Yeah, it was it was bold. This is a really good like Patreon only thing. Make the bastards <laughs> you pay money listen to this garbage. No, there's not really. You could just follow me at the Catvolver on Twitter or Instagram bbotv 23 Every once in a while, I'll write candy of this day which is the closest thing i have to something other than my gorgeous wife and child and she is my current wife so let's all keep in perspective here dan is there anywhere people can follow you uh yes they may follow me at uh dan dan hall hall on twitter uh, it has not been updated in over a decade <laughs> uh you can you can follow me in the texts i send to brocket of my sweet pup eating brussels sprouts uh, and also in a elaborate Google Doc sheet about my homemade D&D campaign that is currently set to private. <laughs> <laughs> and that's for legal reasons. Oh, yeah. Richard Gere would eat my lunch if he found the stuff I wrote about him in there and his delicious tusks. <laughs> well... I would love to have you guys back on one day. Maybe we can get you and Kyle back together. That'd be a, a great time, I think. Me and Christian wouldn't even attend. We'd just put the recording in front of you and just see what happens. We're going to pop that one right out. Keep in <laughs> mind that this was Brockett and I holding back. Like <laughs> That might actually be true. <laughs> like We went into this thinking, because there are times definitely where you could probably tell we made a conscious effort. Like, all right, let's try and talk about something that sounds like we're actually smart guys have something to say. No, if you have us on again, I guarantee you the end of it will just be me and him speaking out a source book of our <laughs> home of our D&D &D campaign and telling people to send us money for it. 
True. Well, we're making jokes. I got to tell you, I loved it, and I and I wish I didn't have to cut us off, uh, but I respect your time. And I really do thank you so much for coming on, and thank you all for listening. Class is dismissed. Pathfinder Academy is part of the Trailblazer Network. For other great RPG podcasts, visit our website, tblazer.net. Want to get in touch? Email us at tblazernetwork at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at tblazernetwork. This episode was edited by Devin Tonnell. This is Johan Martins. Thanks for listening. All right. Thank you guys so much. That was phenomenal. My goodness. Yeah, that was damn. like a personal dream of mine, if I can gush for a second. Oof. Well, now you now, we all switch now, words sometimes. Now, thank, thank God. I'm glad we did this, Sin, because now you can spend your life on a dream that is of actual value to the world and yourself. <laughs> or I was going to say, thank I you. Tried, I tried. So I failed. Now. So this this no. was the next this best. Good. Okay. So, so, so this is, we are, we are a dream deferred. That's what you're saying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I've heard that from many ladies before. So Shepherding God's people failed. Let's get Brockett and Dan to tell me a story about how they, also, somebody pissed their pants. I also <laughs> mostly appreciate that it was Caleb's dream fulfilled, but Christian's nightmare realized. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. amazing in that, like, I did actually have points written down to talk about, but you guys kind of just randomly touched on them during yeah. the back and forth. So I was like, okay, sure. well, I'll just let them go with it then. Mm-hmm. Oh, good, good. I like how you created a very elaborate maze and we Kool-Aid manned ours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I did. I mean, and there's proof of this. So I feel that it should be accepted when I say it. I texted Brockett yesterday, probably at about, I don't know, like five or something like that. I said, are you sure that I don't need to prepare anything for this? And his only response was a two-letter sentence, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know Do who not. You are.